We keep hearing the word dislocation, designed to capture how the global pandemic has moved the goalposts and created very different market dynamics in a short period of time. In this episode, we dive into how opportunities arising from this dislocation have created a new breed of fundraisers. I'm Andy Thompson with Private Debt Investor, and this is Spotlight. Private debt fundraising started 2020 where it left off in 2019, on a downslope. In the first quarter, just over $20 billion was raised globally. This is small beer when you consider that annual fundraising peaked at more than $250 billion in 2017. Not all of this is down to the COVID-19 pandemic, as it was only towards the end of the first quarter that it was becoming a major factor. Nonetheless, when it arrived, it hardly made the fundraising scene appear any brighter. But then we began to hear about some new types of funds gaining traction with investors, and before long, the dislocation fund had become the talk of the town. Tavneet Bakshi of First Avenue tells us what she understands by the term. It's interesting how broad that term dislocation is and is being used in the market. You know, it, it has been used to focus on strategies that actually you would quite generally see in a number of the sort of multi-strat hedge funds or the more tactical opportunities funds. And, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, it's being used to describe the more illiquid, distressed restructuring plays. And so, you know, I think for us, the breadth of strategies has been quite uh, remarkable. And we've seen a lot of this come through established managers that are launching new products. But just as uh, interestingly, we are seeing new managers set up either as spin-outs from existing houses or groups that have been under the radar doing you know, fairly niche and focused strategies for a while who are now becoming more and more prominent or certainly believe you know, this is the time for them. Clearly, the idea is that there's a public health crisis that is going to have economic ramifications. That's Trevor Castledine, Senior Director at B Finance, which recently produced a report on the new dislocation fundraising approaches. It identified seven different types of strategy that GPs are pitching to LPs. Those economic ramifications, some are immediate in terms of dislocation in traded markets, others are going to take a little while longer to work out. And dislocation means opportunity. Right? You know, the great phrase of invest well, there's blood on the streets is perhaps not 100% uh, apposite at this point, but but ultimately there's there's an opportunity. And those opportunities the reason we did this piece of work is that clearly there are lots of people out there marketing their own product, which is, you know, in some way a way of exploiting this opportunity. They're all under this single umbrella of a dislocation strategy or an opportunistic strategy, but actually they do quite different things. The common factor is that the economic situation, the dislocation will give a following wind to this strategy. In some cases, it's because it creates the opportunity that's necessary in the first place. In other cases, it's maybe a strategy that works all the way through the economic cycle, but it's definitely going to give better returns now than it might have done last year or the year before. In a way, with these new strategies cropping up, it's an exciting time for investors. If they act fast, they can jump on board with managers to take advantage of the opportunity and make good returns. But is it that simple? 
Investors also have their eyes on existing exposures and dealing with any signs of stress. Do they really have the time and resources to do due diligence? What would be sensible advice to investors at this point? The challenge right now is that um, there is so much uncertainty in the market. The distress or stress is sector-wide and uh, impacting all forms of businesses, big and large, small and medium, across sectors, across regions. And so it is far more challenging to understand and pinpoint where the ripe opportunity is if you're going to play that sort of dislocation. The other challenge is that markets have been volatile. And so, you know, I think that there is definitely a growing sense of frustration and, you know, FOMO, (laughs) you know, fear of, of missing out. And so, you know, I think LPs that do pride themselves on being more opportunistic and tactical. And those certainly that did make money uh, by being brave and bold in the GFC and through the GFC are thinking very much about prioritising near-term dislocations, primarily in the sort of public market space. And what we're hearing is that, you know, LPs are doing that at the expense of perhaps longer-term illiquid distress and stressed opportunities. You know, which isn't surprising when you see the sort of volatility and, and you know, big corrections across the, uh, the publicly listed space. One thing's for sure, there's no time to waste in raising these funds, as Jessica O'Mary, a partner and head of the credit funds team at law firm Ropes & Gray, tells us. So we're seeing that the fundraising times have definitely compressed because You know, it's not uh, a situation as it was, you know, even six months ago where you'd go out and you'd be looking at a 15 to 18 month fundraise period. Everyone wants to get into the market and be taking advantage of deals much more quickly than that. So we're seeing very compressed fundraise periods. Sometimes it's a one and done kind of closing. And even for our clients who are maybe technically have the ability to fundraise for say a more traditional 12 month period, In reality, they're planning to have much chunkier, much quicker closes and not really planning to take advantage of that full fundraising period. According to Trevor Castledine, investors need to keep a cool head and figure out how the new strategies fit into their portfolio construction efforts. Don't jump in just because you can. Some of the advice is advice that you would give at any stage in the cycle, uh, I think, which is understand what investment needs you have. Understand whether you need liquidity or not. Understand how long you're willing to lock money up for. Understand what's in your existing portfolio and what sources of return you're accessing. And choose something that, um, you know, so ultimately you need to choose something that you understand. You need to choose something that fits with your current portfolio mix and therefore is going to be additive to it, both in terms of diversification, style and return. And um, be comfortable that you really can lock your money up, as a lot of these strategies do for a long time. I mean, I think that's just to go off on one. I think that's a little bit of a red herring, right? because we would say to investors all the time, you're long term investors. Don't commit to any strategies that you're not willing to be invested in for a long time. And then everyone bangs on about needing liquidity. But I don't quite understand how needing liquidity <laughs> combines with being a long term investor. 
right? You know, but that, that's, that's just uh, me with my private markets hat on. Of course, investors will want to know that the fees they're being charged for these new vehicles are appropriate. But if these funds are adopting new approaches, presumably the lack of a track record means it might be hard to judge what the fees should be. I mean, fees, again, always my bugbear. You know, some people who want paying 2% uh, irrespective of the return they, they make. I mean, ultimately, if people do hit the target returns that they're promising, then it's going to be the performance fee that determines how much they get paid, not not their base fee. And at the other end of the spectrum, there are some people who have gone, right, well, I understand that. So I'm not going to charge, you know, and I'm backing myself. So I'm charging a very low base fee because actually the base fee doesn't really matter to me. What matters is the performance fee. So ultimately, you know, you, you have to look at the performance fee as the thing that you're going to end up paying. And then the question is, really, are all of those performance fees structured equally? And that, the answer to that is not quite so easy. Some have a catch up, some don't. Some have, you know, the, the, the hurdles are different and the percentages are different. I mean, I think that what uh, investors need to do is they need to, to do a graph, right? They need to say, OK, the target return on this fund is uh, 15 net. That means it's 18, you know, back solving from the performance fee, that means it's 18 gross or 18 and a half gross, whatever the number is. So the manager thinks they're going to make that. What if they make a percent more? What if they make a percent less? How much more or less are they getting paid? How much more or less am I paying? And what's my net return? What if they blow up completely and make nothing? What am I ending up paying? I mean, clearly, if you're investing in someone, it should be because you have some confidence that they will deliver you know, something close to their target return. But, you know, we can't predict the future. A lot of these target returns are based on historical numbers, returns may be made out of the GFC. And we really don't know that those are capable of being replicated. So I think it's very important to understand exactly how the performance fee is being structured and its sensitivity to under and over performance. One might assume that these new funds must have highly innovative new structures for us to examine as well. Not necessarily the case, according to Jessica O'Mary. So it's interesting because originally when we first started talking to clients about developing these products, there was some thought that maybe we would have fee structures that were a little different from a regular fee structure. So for example, a higher carry and a lower management fee or something like that. Um, in reality, in my experience, I have not seen that actually come to fruition. I think and maybe part of this has to do with wanting to move quickly. We're seeing the fee structures in general look very similar in terms of management fee and carry structures to what we would see um, in a regular way credit fund versus you know, something new and different. But I will say that the other thing that we are seeing increasingly is a premium carry to the extent that the fund um, overachieves a hurdle. So in other words, one carry rate for the manager in an ordinary course scenario, but if these dislocation funds really outperform and give the LPs a lot of return to allow the general partner to participate in a higher carry rate. So, buoyed by these new dislocation funds, is 2020 set to be a much better fundraising year than many had been anticipating? For Tavneet Bakshi, it's a qualified yes, in the sense that fundraising may gather momentum by the time the year comes to an end, but don't necessarily expect a rapid bounce back. I suspect what we're going to find is that it will continue to be subdued through the summer, and I 
suspect what we'll find is there will be a correlation between some form of normalcy returning in terms of how we are placed logistically as well as the businesses around us. Um, so some form of correlation with that and investors starting to gain more confidence in, in making allocations. So I I wouldn't be too surprised to see a congestion of activity or a concentration of activity coming into the end of the year and perhaps, you know, into the Q1 period of next year. And I think that really between now and then, we'll see a combination of more clarity on the underlying performance of investments made, but also just the confidence level to make a new bet or even be able to logistically carry out some form of diligence. That's all for today. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean and PEI's various titles online. For Private Debt Investor, I'm Andy Thompson. Thanks for listening.